you have like five more you could do this morning, that would be great. God be praised. Thank you for that witness. And welcome, Micah and Kendra. If you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the New Testament book of James. If you do not have a Bible, um, there should be some near you. They're paper-bound. They're kind of blue and white. Uh, Please feel free to use one of those. Take it with you if you don't have one. Um, We'd love for you to have that and um, use it this morning and as you leave as well. Just uh, feel free to do that. And um, if you can't find one and still need one, please see us. We'd love to have have you have a copy of the scriptures this morning. Um, I would like to begin um, reading this passage, just really the first few verses of this first chapter uh, of James as we begin this morning. James chapter 1 begins, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Um, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways." The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away Even while he goes about his business, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That's James chapter 1 verses 1 through about 12. Few passages in all of scripture ring as true on first reading as this New Testament letter of James. So many people, I believe, have found practical wisdom, personal direction, um, powerful healing from this simple but penetrating clarity of James's letter to these believers. What makes this book so helpful? Well, first of all, it's short. That works, doesn't it? Um, you can read it in one sitting, and you should. You should read it in several sittings, but you can do it in just a matter of moments and feel the force of it. Um, Second, um, however, it's personal. Uh, It feels like at every turn, James is writing to me, to you. Do you ever feel that way? Um, I have people often, or from time to time, they'll come up to me maybe after a talk or a, a sermon or some teaching time, and they'll say, have you been talking to my wife? 
You know, have you been reading my emails or have you been following me on, on Instagram or something? Is just something personal. How did you know? That, that's James. And James is kind of like, wait a minute, this guy's been reading my stuff. It's personal. And that's good. But it also comes like a refreshing, clear, kind of finely practical tonic to just about everything that troubles the human soul. And in that regard, like all of Scripture, James lands in the canon of really God's holy word and declares to all of us, thus says the Lord. Now we're going to take some time together and make our way through this powerful little piece of practical truth. And on the other side, I just want you to know up front, you're either going to be frustrated and uncomfortable or relieved and transformed. There are only two options in responding to James. And the response, of course, has to do with the attitude of our hearts, because these words, as all words in Scripture, are living and active and abiding, and they are able to penetrate the deepest, kind of most intimate places of your heart and my heart and bring light and hope and wisdom and correction and healing and ultimately change. So the question is, are you ready? Am I ready? You really need to be ready because James prepares us uniquely for this word, and I think he prepares us uniquely uniquely for a painful, although valuable, experience. Now, back when I was uh, in seminary, Tracy and I, Tracy and my wife, um, were in seminary. It was probably about the third year or so down there. Um, I was kind of in the midst of studies, and Tracy was uh, working some shift at Baylor Hospital as a nurse, and so we were kind of up to our gills in a lot, and we were young, and... Um, <clears throat> quite inexperienced, but, you know, still zealous and <laughs> pretty idealistic, but it was, it, the, it, the water was starting to kind of feel like it was rising above our heads, and we were feeling quite overwhelmed, and I can remember a night, uh, we were both um, fairly unconscious, just having dealt with everything we had dealt with, and I woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. I couldn't catch my breath. I couldn't. I just couldn't catch my breath. And then I started to panic. And so that made matters worse. I, I couldn't breathe. I, I started to get dizzy and lose my bearings. And I could tell the lights were just going to go out. And I woke up Tracy and, and, and she said, what's, what's the matter? And I said, I can't breathe. I've got this tightness in my chest and I, I can't breathe. Well, then she got alarmed. And um, so we kind of gathered ourselves, and I'm, I'm barely um, alive, at least that's how it felt at this time. And so we hopped in our little whatever it was at the time, and we drove to Baylor University Hospital emergency room, which was just a few blocks away from our uh, little apartment. And they started to attend to me there, and person after person came into the room and poked and prodded and listened and checked and one, one fellow pricked my thumb, some sort of blood sugar or something or other. And then finally this young man came in. And I just remember him being strikingly young because I wanted to ask him for his ID. That's how young he looked. I'm thinking, why are you, have you graduated from high school? But anyway, he smiled and he, he had hospital scrubs on. So he was official. He had a badge. So I knew he was there for a purpose. But I was just a little um, anxious, obviously, to say the least. 
And um, he was there, he told me, in no uncertain terms, but very gently, I need to check your blood gas levels. That was a first for me. So I looked over at Tracy, and she said, "They they need to see how much oxygen you have in your blood. And so in order to do this, um, again, I did not know this, um, he, he took my, my wrist and then he reached over to a drawer and he pulled out the most enormous needle I have ever seen in my life. And I'm thinking to myself, I came in here with anxiety. You do understand that, right? Okay, so then he takes this and he says, before he, before he starts to administer, he, he finds this soft spot in my wrist. It's just kind of a little soft spot. And he says, I'm going to take this needle and I'm going to go down through this hole because I've got to find an artery. And I've got to take the blood out of the artery. And I'm going, again, I thought about, I needed to check this guy's ID. How many times have you done this? And then he said to me, this is going to hurt. And I said, well, I'll be all right. He said, no, you don't understand. This is really going to hurt. And then I got it. Down it. It hurt. James comes to us in all his gentleness and goodness. And he says, this is going to hurt. Oh, I... What do you mean? This is James. I mean, come on. I, I know this letter. I, I love James. It's, a, it's one of those feel-good letters. I, I, I've done this. I, I, I'm up for this. And James says, no, you don't understand. This is, this is really going to hurt. Because, you see, James comes into the anxiety of our lives, all the hyperventilation of everything we kind of allow into our experience because of our kind of our own understanding of the way life should look and how our priorities should be, this kind of easily justified kind of self-inflicted stress, depleted peace, resources, all in the name of, of course, you know, effectiveness and and busyness. And James says, listen, this is going to hurt. But you need it. James comes and tests the oxygen level of my faith. Because what, they re- what, J- what God really wants to know is if it's the real deal. And how uh, James begins is almost more impressive and compelling to me as to actually what he says. It's, it's the way he comes into our experience that is so instructive and helpful, I believe, to all of us today. By the way, when you're going to face some tough reality or when you're preparing to make your way into someone's life and perhaps challenge them with hard truth or confront them with something uh, like a really big needle or some sort of something that you have on your mind in regards to them. Listen, it's critical. It's critical how you begin and how you come. You must come, as James does, with a right view and understanding of yourself before you ever attempt to offer wisdom or correction to someone else. Now just just watch how this opens. We're not going to get very far in James chapter 1 this morning, but that's okay. We're going to pitch a tent because we've got to stay here for a few moments today. 
Look, look how this begins. Just listen. James, a, a, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he begins. He states his name and then he gives his credential. I serve Christ. I know that serve him. I'm, I'm, I'm chained to him. This is my lot. This is who I am. This is a great word. It's, it, it literally means I, I, I row beneath the deck. I'm an under rower of Christ. You'd never even see me because I'm always below deck and I'm in chains and I'm rowing for Christ. That's the word. That's how he comes. That, that, that's, that's amazing to me. What a way to start. He knows this is going to hurt. This is not Philippians 4. Don't worry, just pray. God's got it. This isn't Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And there's kind of these peaceful waters and, and green pastures. This is not Psalm 23. Those are for other times. This is for believers who are under the pile. And this is what they needed to hear. And James, I find it remarkably compelling that he doesn't come with a hammer. He comes with a blanket. That's how he starts. He comes with a balm. He said, I'm coming, listen, as a man in absolute and total submission to another. It is God. It is his son, Jesus Christ. I have no agenda but his. I have no plans but his plans. No vision but his vision. I'm a slave. I row beneath the decks for Jesus Christ. Now, here's why this is so remarkable. Because this writer, this person who is coming with these powerful and penetrating and, listen, painful words, if we take them to heart and face them as truth, is likely the brother of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. <laughs> now, wouldn't you have led with that? I'm James, the brother of the creator of the universe. <laughs> he's my brother. You know, I mean, he's my brother. I'm associated with him. I'm, I, I'm, I'm his brother. He, he could have led with that. He could have played that card at the beginning. Uh, but he doesn't. Um. James was also the renowned leader of the church at Jerusalem. He could have led with that too. He, he really could have. He could have said, well, I'm James, the senior pastor of the first Christian church at Jerusalem. He, he, he could have started there. He could have led with that. You know, I'm, 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 the, I'm the top dog. I'm the one who headed up the council of Jerusalem and, and brought some real focus and, and fix to the, the chaos of the early church as was described by Luke at the beginning of Acts. No, he didn't, he didn't start there. He says, I'm James and I'm a slave to God and to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not even a hint of pretense or presumptuousness in the way he begins this letter. He simply and rightly and humbly declares, I belong to Christ. And I'll tell you what, I, 
there is something unbelievably refreshing about that approach. I like that. That works. Something had happened in James' life. Christ, his brother, had laid hold of him as this immortal, eternal, all-wise God and brought him to a place of humility. That's how you come about this word, this word that is translated servant or slave of God. It's a supernatural experience. He knows these believers are under life's pile. He understands how complicated being a Christian can be. And he's deeply concerned about the peril of self-sufficiency and kind of a powerless experience. But he doesn't lecture. He doesn't ride in on a horse. He doesn't whip out his kind of... His, his, his early language testaments are any. He doesn't throw his credentials or his diploma in front of everybody, kind of nauseating them from the beginning. He says, listen, I'm James, and I belong to Christ. He's my Lord. He's my God. I come in his name. Praise him. Praise him. And that's what we need on this planet on behalf of the gospel, is more, more James. And I believe, doesn't matter what I believe, it's clear he learned this from Christ. Jesus said on a number of occasions, in many different forms or fashion, the Son of Man, the Son of Man did not come to be served. I came to serve. And to give myself, give himself up as a ransom for many. Luke tells us that Jesus said this, Who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? That's a great question. You might leave this place and end up at, at some place like Applebee's. God bless you. Okay, and, and that's a great question for you. Who's, who's more important, you or that poor person that keeps forgetting to refill your sweet tea? That's the question. Who's more important? Jesus was just using a, a perfectly honest and simple illustration of being at a table and being served. Who's more important? The one who's sitting down waiting to be served or this poor person? This probably this single mother who's just trying to make ends meet. And the only thing we can think about is why our food isn't on the table. That's a powerful question. And Jesus said, I, I'm here to serve you. James got that. Changed him. It transformed him. Paul writes to the believers at Corinth, those kind of high-minded, upper-middle-class, sophisticated Christians at Corinth. You know, Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich like you, for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might actually become rich. James got it. He got it. He made himself nothing, says Paul to the Philippian believers. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being found in human likeness and humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. James got it. 
ask you a question. Did we come here today to be served? Or have you come to serve? Because you are chained to Christ. Are you, are you in your marriage to be served and appreciated and affirmed? Or in your organization or, or, or your whatever it happens to be? Are, are you in that kind of relationship or that world to kind of have your needs met? Or are you in it for the gospel? Because of Christ to serve. Is, is this your kind of approach and, and worldview towards whatever it is Christ has put your hands to, uh, whatever that happens to be? Is your agenda his agenda? Are your plans his plans? Is your family ultimately designed and ordered to exalt Christ and him alone, singularly and primarily in everything you do? That's James. He got it. He got it. James, the brother of the creator of the universe, opens this powerful and certainly painful testament by simply saying, I serve Christ. I belong to him. And listen, if you just take a survey of what you already know, most of you, likely about this great letter. He, he wants everything. He's going to want your thoughts. Look at verse 2. We're going to get there, not this week, but next time. Consider it pure joy. You know what? A, consider is a, is a thought word. He wants your thoughts. He wants your thoughts to serve Christ too. He wants you to think rightly about whatever you're facing, your trials. So he wants you to consider things the way Christ does. He wants your thoughts. He, he's also going to go for your prejudices. And don't think we don't have them. He, he doesn't want you to play favorites. Don't show favoritism, James says. That hurts. Well, you might not think you're showing favoritism, but wait, wait till he gets into your soul. Uh, he's going for your tongue, um, your words. He's going for your sinful habits and addictions. He, he doesn't want you any longer blaming God by saying, God is tempting me. He, no, God doesn't tempt anyone. God cannot be tempted. He's not a tempter. He wants your prayer life. He doesn't want you to waver like a, like a wave, you know, in the wind. Just like that. He doesn't want you to do that in your prayer life. He's after your prayer life. He doesn't want you to say, Lord, I need you to do this. And then the next day you're out fretting about it. That's a wave. He say, he's after that. He's under Christ. He's going after your superficial, my superficial hypocrisy, telling you to be not just hearers of the word, but doers. He's going for your boasting. In our culture, that's our posting. <laughs> what you share, what is the focus of you? He's going for your lack of self-awareness. He, he's going for your lust for comfort and security at all costs. Listen, it's, it's time to face the truth. And James says, I'm coming with this needle, and it's huge. And listen, it's really going to hurt, but I'm coming. I'm coming as a servant of Christ. A servant of Christ. I belong to him. I'm a slave to God. I'm a slave to Jesus. That's my frame. That's my mind. That's my mission 
And I guess I'm here to say, first to myself and then to all of us here, we are not ready for James until we get this. We're not ready. Because until we get this, James is going to stay kind of ensconced on the plaques above your fireplace or maybe on a mug that you use for coffee. (laughs) Or maybe hung over the mantle of your bedstand or something, you know. That's where James is going to stay. But it's not going to go deep. It's not going to test the metal, the oxygen level of your faith until we get James 1, 1. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. Just think about that. He knew nothing of sin. He did. He had never felt it. He never felt the sting of it. He, he did never, certainly never accomplished it or acted on it. He, he knew nothing of it. He, God made him who knew no sin to actually not sin. <laughs> he made him who knew nothing of it, knew no sin in his life, no experience of it. He made him, Christ, who knew no sin to actually become sin. So that we might become his righteousness. See, James got that. And that took Jesus all the way, all the way to Gethsemane, the press, the garden of the press, wrestling with the needle, the hugest needle he would face in his entire earthly existence. And he said to his father, if there's any way... We can do this without the needle. Nevertheless, I want your will, not mine. (laughs) James got it. I tell you, you can kind of splash through the puddle of James and just kind of enjoy the, the shimmering waters. <laughs> or you can hold your nose and dive in and let it just cover you. Let him go there. And the question is to whom or what are you enslaved today? If it's not Christ, what drives you? What drives me? Do you have the humility and posture and brokenness of this dear servant of the Lord who happened to be the brother of the creator of the universe and the senior pastor of the first Christian church of Jerusalem? Yet he comes with this remarkable, uncanny attitude towards the things of the Lord and the people of God. Though powerful and prominent, prestigious, he, he stands down and acknowledges him. I don't belong to my, it's not about me, I'm, I'm about Christ. Or are you so bent, so bent on your own stuff that you've just gotten everything wrong? Listen, he, he died even though he was God so that you and I could have a merciful chance. That's James and that's how he leads Um, I just, I just had my, uh, Tracy and our time in Dallas on my mind and heart, I guess, when I was preparing these thoughts and 
I thought about an individual in my life that I'll be forever grateful for, um, who, who, who wouldn't know me from Adam, but who marked my life in ways that I'm, I'm sure probably going to continue to discover as long as the Lord gives me breath. Um, his name was Howard Hendricks. Dr. Howard Hendricks, perhaps probably one of the world's most influential and powerful Christian leaders who ever walked this planet, yet probably most of you um, have never really heard of him. And uh, he taught a couple of courses at Dallas Seminary that we were required to take. And um, it was life-changing. Yet some of the most prominent and well-known Christian leaders and authors and radio Bible teachers or whatever you want to call them today personally and individually trace their ministry success and effectiveness to this one humble, gentle servant of the Lord who simply had it in his heart to proclaim Christ and believe in people when they didn't believe in themselves. That was Howard Hendricks. He, he had numerous advanced degrees. He understood the, um, the original languages like few people on the planet uh, do um, and became one of the most sought-after Bible teachers and conference speakers and Christ, uh, leader of Christian events for probably two generations. But he never had a radio program. He was never on the Moody Network. Not once. Never wrote a best-selling book. Um, didn't have a show. Wasn't invited onto Larry King or CNN. But the ministries and individuals he personally spawned and quietly gave their start to are, are on probably Christian America's top 100 list. Names of people that you know and you're, you've heard their voices and they've challenged your life. Names like Chuck Swindoll, Chip Ingram, David Jeremiah, Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley, John Piper, Erwin Lutzer, Steve Farrar, Nancy Lee DeMoss, Beth Moore, Tony Evans, on and on and on it goes. And I, I know you all know these names. You hear them. You, you listen to them all the time because you tell me about their sermons right before I get up here to preach. So I appreciate that. <laughs> man, I heard this great message from Tony Evans. Man, he's amazing. Oh, man. Just turn off your radio. No, I'm kidding. What a blessing. Listen, we hear everything. But why haven't you heard of Howard Hendricks if you haven't? Because it wasn't his deal. He didn't seek to be heard. He was certainly followed. And I remember it in a rare, I remember in a rare, very humbling opportunity. We had a few of us students after class to sit with Prof. Hendricks. And, and we asked him, we said, boy, and we're about ready to get out of this place and go off and, you know, Give, give a shot at being pastors and preachers. You got, a, you got any advice, advice for us, Prof, before we leave this place? And he, yeah, he just smiled. He said, man, that's easy. This is what he said. Lay low and exalt Christ. Can you repeat that a little slower? <laughs> Lay low and exalt Christ. Lay low. Exalt Christ. That's James. Up against a rock in a hard place in, in your marriage, lay low. Exalt Christ. Someone, one of you has to do that. To get the process rolling. 
finding it virtually impossible to find peace and unity in your experience or, or, or your group or your family. Lay low and exalt Christ. Lay low. Lift him up. Think, think you're the answer to everyone's problem and everyone's need to see life and faith your way or your highway. Listen, lay low and exalt Christ. That's, that's the vision. That's James. That's what we need to get before we can ever go on and really get what God has to bring us in this powerful and penetrating letter. Lay, lay low, exalt Christ. It works. <laughs> I remember something else Howard Hendricks said. He said, <clears throat> listen up all you preacher boys out there. If you want to know how significant you really are, take a glass of water, stick your finger in it, hold it there for a few seconds, then remove it, and the size of the hole that is left is how significant you really are. <laughs> that was Howard Hendricks. He's with Christ now. He's with the Lord. You see, that's, that's the ticket. And I came across this psalm, if I can find it. Man, this Bible is just way too honking big. But Psalm, listen to this. This is, the, this is David. Praise the Lord. Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him. Praise Him with resounding trumpets. Praise Him with the harp. Praise Him with the lyre. Praise Him. Praise Him with tambourine and dancing. Praise Him. Praise Him with strings and flute. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Praise Him. Praise Him with your family. Praise Him with your business. Praise Him with your relationships. Praise Him with, with your education. Praise Him with your career. Praise Him with your mind. Praise Him with your gifts and your talents. Praise Him with your words. Praise Him. Let everything, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. That's James. Are you ready? It's going to hurt. That's good. Praise him. That's power. Praise. Gracious God, do whatever it takes to bring my heart in line with yours, all of our hearts, our wills, our thoughts, our attitudes, our priorities, our passions and affections, our boasting, all for you. We might lay low and exalt Christ. 
in your great name. Amen.